Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. Last week, we talked about the rapture of the church. So the rapture of the church. Uh, the rapture of the church, is remember, is when Jesus is going to call the believers, okay, of the church age up. We're going to meet him in the air, those that are alive, as well as those that have gone on and, and died before us. Somehow, God is going to bring all the molecules back together of those people that have died beforehand, and, and we'll meet them in the air. And that'll be a really amazing meeting. It'll be kind of a, you know, how long that meeting is in the air? A second, two seconds? I don't know, but it's going to be like, wow, you know, there's Uncle Billy, or there's a friend of ours from church, or there's someone that went on. So it'll really be kind of a, a neat thing. And, and the most exciting thing I think we talked about last week is that the rapture of the church is imminent. Okay, let's just remember that word, imminent. Imminent meaning it could happen immediately. There is nothing in the Bible, okay, there's nothing in the Bible that's keeping the rapture from happening right now. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> that would have been perfect timing if the rapture would have happened right then. That would have really been good, you know. Uh, but, but there's nothing keeping it from happening. And so we have to just always remember that, that, that even the disciples and the apostles, when they were alive with Christ, they thought the rapture of the church was taking place during their lifetime because everything was, was present tense, like right now. Like we're looking forward to seeing Jesus in the air, like that attitude. So they would have never guessed that 2,000 years later, here we are still anxiously awaiting Christ's return. And, and no one knows the day or the hour, okay? No one knows the day or the hour. If someone says a day or an hour, you know it's going to happen on this day at this time. Here's what you do. You bet all your money in the world against that person. <laughs> because if they're predicting the day or the hour, I guarantee you right then and there, God's up there going, well, it's not that day, that's for sure, you know. He, you know, it, no one knows the day or the hour. They're just, it's not going to happen. No one knows it. And so it could happen at any moment. And, and what we're going to look at today is what's called the tribulation. Now, I'm going to explain the tribulation to you. Here's what there is. There is signs, and there are, uh, well, signs, there are things on the calendar we can look at that tell us when the tribulation will, uh, will be, when Christ's second coming will be. So there's no sign for the rapture of the church, but we know the signs of his second coming, when Jesus literally comes, comes down to earth, touches down on the ground, and actually starts the millennial period. So again, we're going to talk about that, but let's do this. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back to the Bible, and let's pick up on this passage that we're at. We're in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was speaking... To the, to the disciples, to the people there, and, and he's giving them what was called in the Bible, what we know it as, the Olivet Discourse. <clears throat> and he says this, so 24 verse 3, and then we're kind of reviewing here uh, to kind of give us some framework for what we're going to talk about today. And as they sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, so this is what they say, tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? and of the end of the world, or the end of this age. So now you have to remember this, church. Remember, what Jesus is going to talk about here is not the rapture. He's talking about the second coming, okay? He's not talking about when the church goes up uh, to meet him in the air. He's talking about when Christ comes down and touches down on the earth. So, Matthew 24, verse 4. 
And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world uh, to this time. No, nor shall ever be. Okay, so he goes on then the rest of the passage to describe more about the tribulation. But let's just kind of pause in these verses and kind of talk about it. So there's a lot of things that are, that are going to be listed here that we're going to look at. But um, there's a lot of things that are taking place during the tribulation. But don't forget, church, for a moment that, that just because he's listing things that happened during the seven-year time period, these things also can be happening up into that tribulation time period. Meaning this. It's not like everything here on earth is going to be spotless and perfect. This is not going to be a utopia. And everything's just fine. And then all of a sudden, we hop into the tribulation, and all of a sudden there's earthquakes and wars and all these problems, okay? There's, there's, there's sorrows, there's groanings. The Bible also refers to it uh, as, as a woman giving birth. Like, you know it's coming, right? You know, sooner or later, we're going to the hospital. Sooner or later, this is going to happen. It's not like everything's just fine, and all of a sudden, you go to the hospital and have a baby. So he's kind of referring to these things. And he's saying, listen, not everything's going to be perfect, but there's, the tribulation is going to start, and it really gets terrible. The worst time in the history of the earth for the earth uh, as Christ really literally just kind of cleanses the earth and uh, a last-ditch effort, if I could say it that way, to bring people uh, to the knowing understanding of our Savior. So uh, let's take a look at this. I tell you what, let's do. Let's take a look at this because I want you to understand this. Um, I want you to look at this timeline that we have here. Uh, Dr. Tom Kakuza gave this to me. I still have just a little bit of a feedback going on up here. Um, so here's a timeline, and I, I would do my best to kind of explain it. I know there's a lot of things going on here, but, but let me just walk through it real quickly. This line right here, okay, this is where we're at right now. Uh, uh, this was the first coming of Christ. This was Jesus in the manger, right? We know that story of Bethlehem. And this time right here then is where uh, Christ died on the cross, the story of Easter. And then what we have is this area right here called the church age. So far, it's been about 2,000 years, okay? And we, we base that off the fact that let's just, let's just round out the numbers. I know I'm not exact, but let's just say Jesus died in 33 AD, okay? So this year is the year 2021. So it's been 2,000 years so far that we're here in the church age. We don't know how long this time period is, but we know that this time period is over when the rapture of the church, Christ takes the church up, the church is gone, right? The judgment seat of Christ, we'll talk about that later. And then what starts here is the tribulation, a seven-year time period of God's wrath upon the earth, okay? Christians are gone. There's still people left on earth, the unsaved, seven-year time period. And then the second coming of Christ. This is when Christ comes down and then begins, uh, that's the battle of Armageddon, and then begins a thousand-year millennial reign and eternity, okay? We're going to talk more about those things, but just to kind of give you an idea. So, Pastor Dan, where are we on this timeline right here? Where are we? Man, I, I just think, like, we're right there. I just, ah, I, I don't think we're here. I, I got to believe we're, like, really close. Why? Why do I believe we're really close to this? And this is what we're going to talk about today. Why? Because the Bible gives us clear, uh, clear signs, clear description of what this looks like and what this looks like. So we see what this looks like. We know what this looks like. There's, there's markers in time on your calendar that things that have to happen to see this. Well, if we're seeing these things get closer, then by default, what? We're getting closer to this time on the calendar, okay? So, 
So remember, there's no, there's no thing, no, nothing in the calendar has to happen for the rapture, but there's things in the calendar that have to happen for this, and we see this getting closer, so therefore we have to just kind of assume we're getting closer. Because I believe, at the, I believe after the rapture, I believe the beginning of the tribulation is going to be pretty quick. The Bible doesn't say how far after the rapture to the beginning of the tribulation. It doesn't say that, but I have to believe it's almost immediate. Why? Because the rapture of the church is going to be so cataclysmic. I mean, just millions of people, dare I say billion people, probably, are going to be gone, and the world is going to go into absolute chaos because the economy is going to go crazy. I mean, just think about it, right? Every, people are going to be uh, dying. You know, pilots from airplanes are going to be flying their plane. The plane's going to crash. You know, all those kind of things are going to happen, and it's just going to be absolute chaos. So I believe after the rapture of the church, the tribulation is going to start pretty quick, okay? But we don't have an exact date on that. But I would just imagine, I just can't see society going on. So, so remember this, though, too. I have, to, I have to make sure you understand this. When, when, when Jesus is talking here in Matthew chapter 24, remember this. So he's talking to the people right here, right? All of that discourse. They, they don't know. Now get this. These people... In Matthew chapter 24, the disciples, they don't know about this. They don't know. They, they don't know about this. All they're thinking is, we're here, and they're thinking, boom, like we're into the millennial kingdom, right? They're not thinking about the church age. Now, and this is what always confused me when I was a kid. This is what confused me, because when you read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you think like they're all like they know about the church and they know what's going on and they understand the church age and they know they don't at this time when this is being said remember what did what did jesus what did paul what did they call this time the church age was known as a mystery why was it a mystery because it hadn't been revealed yet so these people had no idea that this was going to take place they they didn't it was Paul's job, it was Peter's job to reveal that. So when they're talking in Matthew chapter four, 24, they're talking about the seven-year tribulation. They're talking about the second coming of Christ. They, they didn't know there was going to be a church age. Paul, you know, before, or, or I should say like Matthew and these guys, they didn't know we'd be doing this in the year 2021. They, they had no clue. It hadn't been revealed. Paul doesn't reveal that until the book of Acts. Okay, and that's like, like 30 or 40 years after Jesus went back to heaven. Okay, so like a lifetime for most people. They, they didn't talk about this. So it was an interesting transition period, and, and it was not revealed. So, so the Jews don't get that. They're thinking, you know, hey, Jesus is going to have his kingdom. We're going to be part of the kingdom. Well, you know, the, a lot of things have to happen before Jesus is, you know, going to be back for his kingdom in the millennial. Pastor Dan, what's one of the main things that has to happen? Well, one of the main things that has to happen in order for this to happen, really the millennial, is that the Jews have to be back in their land. Okay, now, how many of you know in 1948 that the Jews went back to their land? You all know about that, right? That seems like an eternity ago, <laughs> you know, but uh, it's a big thing. And now, now, remember this. If Jesus died in 33 AD, and that's just kind of an approximate date, you know, within a couple years, but it wasn't until 70 AD, so what's that, 40 years later? that Nero destroys Jerusalem and all the Jews are scattered. So at the time when Jesus is talking to the Jews, they're in Israel. They, they're, in their, now they're occupied by Rome, right? But they're thinking, we still, have, we still have our temple, we still have these things, Jesus can come back today. 
They didn't know that in 40 years that Nero was going to flatten the city and the Jews were going to be dispersed all throughout the world. And they literally, you know, Nero goes, he destroys uh, Jerusalem, the temple, everything's gone. The, the Jews scatter around the world. Here's the interesting thing about the Jews. Let's talk about the Jews for a moment. The Jews are probably the only nationality that actually remembers and actually knows their heritage. Meaning this, if you go to a person that's Jewish today and you say, so, what is your nationality? What's the response? Well, I'm not really sure. <laughs> they never say that. You talk to a Jewish person, what do they say? I'm a Jew. I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I clearly know it. I've got to trace back. I, I mean, every Jew I've ever talked to knows that they're a Jew. Now, flip the coin on that for a moment. I talk to the rest of us living here in Wisconsin, to people that are not Jews. <laughs> I call myself a mutt uh, because I don't really know my heritage too much. I know, that, um, I know that there's some German in me because of my last name, Rehoff. Ready? You don't care about this, but I'm going to tell you. All right. There's two E's in my last name, and there's two F's, R-E-E-H-O-F-F. -F. But there's also, uh, I'm also Danish. Would you believe that? I'm Danish. And now I was told that because, I may have this backwards, because there's two E's, that's Danish, and because there's two F's, that's German, meaning there are Rehoffs in America that have one E in their name, R-E-H-O-F, okay, or F-F, or R-E-E-H-O-F. But because I'm part Danish, part, part German, there's two E's and there's two F's. And you're all saying, Pastor, we don't care. And I get you, <laughs> but the point is this. I really don't know the rest of my heritage. I, I guess I could look it up. You know, I could dig it through, but it's not a little bit of German, a little bit of Danish, probably some Polish, probably some, I don't know. I talk with my hands, probably some Italian there. I don't know, you know. You know, <laughs> but it's not like I go around and saying, you know, I'm German or, you know, I'm, Dan I just don't, we just don't do that. We say what? We say we're American, all right? So unless you're a Native American Indian, you know, <laughs> you're kind of like, well, I'm American, but I came from somewhere else. I mean, really. But a Jew, a Jewish person always knows, seems to always know their nationality for the most part. And so what I think is an amazing thing, and I think it's a prophecy being fulfilled, is, is in 1948, remember this, 1948, Britain occupies the, what was called Palestine at the time, the modern-day Israel, and, and, and Great Britain does what in 1948? They pull out. They pull out of Palestine, leaving what? Leaving 600,000 Jews living in Palestine. Modern-day modern day Israel, as we know it, but Palestine. They pull out. So what do these 600,000 people do? They're left to themselves. They're literally left to govern themselves. Well, May 14th, 1948, they get together. They, they declare themselves a nation. The United Nation actually votes on it. Now, how many of you know who had the tie-breaking vote? America had the tie-breaking vote. How many of you know who it was? It was Harry Truman that cast the vote that would uh, seal the deal that America, or that Israel, would be a sovereign nation. And America had a, a very influential part of that, and was a very important part of that, in casting that vote. So, so now, Israel has a nation again. Remember, church, remember. Right here, 70 A.D., the Jews are gone. Israel's not Israel anymore. They're dispersed. There's no temple. For 2,000 years... The Jews have been wandering around the, you know, around the entire world, right? Living everywhere. And they come back together in 1948. One of the things that has to happen in order for this to happen, the Jews have got to be back in the land. That's something we can look at our calendar and say, oh, okay. Check. Done. 
the Jews are back in the land. And that's never happened to another people group. I mean, just think about the amazing part of that. You've never heard, uh, you know, people were scattered. You know, the Polish people were scattered for years, and they went back and reclaimed Poland. You, know, you don't hear about that. You don't hear about an entire uh, uh, race, if I could use that word, being dispersed for 2,000 years and then coming back together again and reforming the exact same piece of land, the exact same nation that they had. It's just unheard of. Here's an interesting stat for you. You ready to talk about Jews coming back into the land? Here's what's interesting. Did you know that uh, in, in, uh, in 2006, so that's, what, 10, 15 years ago, something like that, 2006, was the first time that literally in 1900 years that Israel becomes home to the largest Jewish community in the world. Prior to that, where was the largest concentration of Jews? Here in America. But in 2006, 2006, they marked that the, the largest concentration of Jewish people uh, it was finally back in Israel. That was 5.4 million Jews in 2006. Uh, uh, now, in 2021, it's probably around 6 million Jews. And every year, every year, uh, they have, uh, the Jewish people have uh, what's called Aliyah. Aliyah, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correct with the fact I don't have a Hebrew accent, but Aliyah, if you want to go back, if you're a Jew and you want to go back to Israel, you will pretty much get funded. You'll get an airplane ticket. They will do whatever they can to bring you back. Uh, and it's called Aliyah. Many Jews from around the world, Ethiopia, from America, do this. They say, well, I'm going to go Aliyah. I'm going to go back to my homeland to live. I'm going back to Israel to live. Now, here's a little bit of trivia. Ready? This is kind of cool. Last year, 2020, right? Terrible year we all had with COVID. Now, airplanes shut down, right? Transportation shut down. All these problems shut down. How many? Now, just think. Don't answer, but just think. How many Jews do you think took advantage of Aliyah and went back to their homeland to move to Israel to call that their home. Not to visit, not to be a tourist, but they packed up their belongings, they sold their house and all their goods, they go to Israel and they step on Israel's soil, they're given Israeli national uh, citizenship, they're now a citizen of Israel and they got their feet planted. Guess how many Jews from all around the world went last year alone in the middle of COVID to do Aliyah? And this was covid so this is what's amazing about this. You know how many Jews did that? 20,000 Jews last year in the middle of COVID still packed up their belongings and said, I'm moving to Israel. Now, I don't know what it's going to be in a year like this when the economy is good and stuff. It's probably going to double or triple that. But every year, there are tens of thousands of Jews that are going back. And that's more than 20,000. That's more than Pewaukee, right? That's more than Oconomowoc. I mean, imagine the entire city of Oconomowoc, gone. So we're going, to, we're going to Israel, you know, we're going back to our homeland. But, but this just doesn't happen, you know, no people group just doesn't do that. You don't hear about, you know, 20,000 Ethiopians moving back to Ethiopia. You know, you just don't hear about that. We don't hear about 20,000 Mexicans leaving America to go back to Mexico. I mean, right? I'm just being serious. You don't hear about that. That's why this is an amazing thing. Let me say something about racism. I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent. How long have we got? The big complaint is that America is a racist nation. Church, if America was a racist nation, then literally 5,000 people a year drowned trying to come across the water to get to our nation. You know, the borders, people coming over the borders, coming over the, the wall. If America was so racist, why are you trying to come to America to be in a racist nation? You wouldn't do that, right? I mean, literally, they're taking babies and throwing them over the border wall. You wouldn't do that in a racist nation. I mean, you just wouldn't do it. Now, was America racist? Was there some problems? Absolutely. I mean, extremely dark times of slavery, of course. 
And side note on that church, just to put it in context, America wasn't the only country practicing slavery, okay? The whole world was guilty of slavery, all right? All of Europe, all those other countries were practicing slavery. There are still some countries that actually practice slavery. It's terrible. It's awful. It's disgusting. And it's a dark spot in our nation's history. But during that time period, you know, people weren't coming up to America saying, well, gee, I can't wait to get into America and be a slave. No, that's a racist nation. But the proof that America isn't racist, yes, are there problems? Yes, there's problems. Is there work to be done? Yes. But as a whole, you wouldn't be jumping a fence and risking your life to come to America if it was so bad, right? I mean, right? I don't see anybody jumping the fence and trying to go to Canada. I mean, really? I mean, I'm, maybe I'm missing it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. But, all right, we're having a Bible study. Get your Bible. Here we go. Um, now, listen, we got a lot to cover in a very short time because, because I'm talking about prophecy too much. <laughs> I'm going to need you with your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, put the words on the screen. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, and then we're going to be in the book of Revelation. And I want you to hold your finger because we're going to go back and forth, okay? A lot, all right? Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. Let's go back to our story. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of... Can we go back to that map? Back to the map. What shall be the sign of thy coming? Not the rapture. What's the signs of your coming? All right. So, he's going to start to list some things and talk about the signs of the coming. And again, the closer we get to this tribulation time, the closer we get to Christ coming back, we know that we're closer to the rapture. So here we go. Here's the signs. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And shall deceive many. So what's the first thing he says? What's the sign of the coming of Christ? He says, well, the first thing is there's going to be false Christ. Don't be deceived. There's going to be a lot of people saying that they are, uh, uh, I'm Christ. Christ, the word literally means anointed one. I'm anointed. He says, in the last days, you are going to get deceived. Interesting. Four times it says in this chapter, deceived. I think he's trying to make a point, right? Four times he says uh, uh, there's going to be deception here. And he says, listen, there's going to be people in the last days who, says, who say that they're anointed or, or someone that says, you know, maybe I'm, I'm a savior. I kind of think of like Sung Young Moon, okay? But I also think about this. It, it refers to someone saying that they have a special anointing from God. Don't be deceived. In the last days, more and more people will say, you know what? I'm anointed. I have a special in. God told me this. Time out. Time out, church. Time out. Hold on a second. When the canon of Scripture was done being written, it was closed. It was done. There is no more revelation. There is no more special insight from God. This book was done. It's done, okay? There's not another chapter being written. Someone doesn't have a special insight. You know, you go to some church and the pastor says, well, I've got an inside scoop. God told me this. <laughs> if someone gets up and says, you know, I got something special here. God told me this. You know what I do? I get up and walk out of church because God didn't tell you anything special that he didn't put in this book about prophecy. It just doesn't happen, okay? It just doesn't say. It's not there. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're in Matthew. Hold your, hold your finger there. We're going to go over to the book of Revelation. Revelation is the very last book in your Bible. Very last book of your Bible, the book of Revelation. We're going to go to chapter 6, verse 1. Now, I want you to understand this, because <coughs> this is kind of cool, and we're going to have to move quickly. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is telling the disciples, this is what's going to happen. In the book of Revelation, 
John's writing about what's taking place, and he's writing it like as if it's happening right now. Like, this is what I see, this is what's happening. So what we're going to look at is kind of a parallel scripture. Matthew chapter 24, he says this is what's going to happen. Revelation chapter 6, we see it happening. Okay? And again, still in the future, but I just want you to understand they're kind of parallel things here. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw the Lamb open one of the seals. This is talking about the end times here. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts uh, uh, saying, come and see, verse 2. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Hmm. So what color is the horse, church? Let me ask you a question before I read the rest of the verse. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Is it usually the good guy or the bad guy that rides on the white horse? Who's some good guys? Uh, The Lone Ranger. He had a white horse. Uh, Roy Rogers. Did he have a white horse? No. Roy Rogers. (laughs) Um, Roy Rogers had a white horse. Wasn't that white? Yeah, was it? Sure. But it's always a good guy that's on the white horse, right? Huh. Verse 2. And I saw and behold a white horse. Oh, this should be a good guy, right? And he that sat on him had a bow. And a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and the conquer. The guy that we see here on the white horse in Revelation is not a good guy. The people are being deceived. What did Matthew say in the book of Matthew? What did Jesus say? Beware, in the last days there's going to be people that are deceiving. They're coming like peace, but they've got their bow. Interesting, he doesn't have arrows. So I've got some strength. I'm not going to shoot you, but I've got some strength here. And, and be ready. And, and what this passage, if we, if we read more of Revelation, and you can do it on your own, this really refers to the Antichrist, the one who, who is literally the Antichrist. And, and he's going to try to restore and get the world back in order, which tells me what? The world is not in order. Why is the world not in order? The very first horse that shows up in the book of Revelation, why is it not in order? I believe because of the rapture of the church, because it's chaos. And, and everything's out of control, everything's terrible, the Christians are gone, uh, and, and people are going to look at this guy and say, well, we'll give our support, we'll give our loyalty to you. You know, he promises peace, he's going to reconfirm a peace deal with Israel, which means that the peace deal already exists. Huh, seems like we've had an awful lot of peace deals signed with Israel in the last 10 or 20 years. And, and, and so he's apparently going to reconfirm it, say, hey, this is good. And, and he's going to give the Jews, he's going to give the Jews the right to build the temple on the Temple Mount. Uh, so I'm going to show you some pictures real quick, all right? Take a look at this photo here of, of the Temple Mount. Now, how many of you are familiar with this? Have you seen this before? How many of you know what this is called? Say it out loud. It's the what? Dome of the Rock, right? Uh, this is a, a Muslim, okay? This is uh, their temple. Um, to the Muslims, this is the holiest place in the face of the earth. This flat piece of land right here is called the Temple Mount, Okay? Uh, Mount Moriah, it's up flat right here, the Dome of the Rock, so the Muslims claim this is the holiest site. Now take a look at the next photo just to give us a little aerial, okay? There's that same Dome of the Rock, that photo was taken this way, okay, I've seen all those houses back there. <clears throat> okay, this is the Temple Mount. Now, let me ask you a question, just, I'm just going to ask you a question. Do you think, do you think they have to tear down the Dome of the Rock to build the Jews' temple? I don't think so. Look at all that room that's up there still. Now, could you imagine? Could you ma- because that's the big thing right now. You're going to get rid of the Muslims' holiest site? I don't think so. Not without World War III, World War IV, and World War V starting at once, right? To build a Jewish temple? 
nah, they ain't going to go for it. So imagine this. Imagine what the Antichrist does is he brokers this deal and says, hey, 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 calm down, everybody, calm down. Muslims, that's wonderful. It's great. Keep it. Jews, right here, baby. Do that. And, and he brokers the peace deal to where they're all going, well, this is the best idea ever. Why didn't we think of this? You know, it's like, I don't know. You know, the Jews are back in the land. They're ready to build. Study Google uh, the Temple Mount Society. They are literally ready to build like they could start tomorrow with the equipment, with the, with the plans. And, everything. and there's plenty of room to do it here. Here's what's really, really cool about this. How many of you know, this is hard to see it. How many of you know what this is? Do you know what, well, let me ask, do you know what this is? Do you see this right here? That's the wall. The wall around Jerusalem. How many even know what this is? Does anyone know what this is? Shout it out. It's the Eastern Gate. Now, isn't that a cool thing? Imagine, and we're kind of looking here at a kind of a the camera angle, a little distorted. But at the Eastern Gate, if you were going straight and you put the temple right here, what would the front of the temple be facing? Wow. Do you think that's cool? Jesus is going to do what? March right through the Eastern Gate. And, and, and the Jews, there's no better place. I mean, they, you know, they, they don't, the Jews don't want to build the temple over here. They don't want to build it over here. That's right in front of the Eastern. That's where our Messiah is coming through. I mean, what, what a better thing for him to do, come right through the Eastern Gate and see the temple that we built for him, you know? So this is a really big thing. So, so what's the second thing then? What's the second thing that he says? Well, if we look back at verse 6, and you shall hear, Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. So we see the second, the first thing is we're, there's going to be a lot of deception going on. People are going to say that I'm like the Messiah. I have a special in. All you got to do is watch television, right? Religious TV, and you see that all the time. But the second thing we see is, is there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's wars going on all over the world today. How about this? The United States of America is still in a war. You don't realize it because we've forgotten about it, but we're still in Afghanistan, Right? And good, bad, or ugly, it's still a war. It's still on the books as a war. There's wars everywhere. But he says, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, take your Bible, hold, hold, hold the Matthew, go over to Matthew, Revelation chapter 6. Let's see that kind of written, written as if it were present tense, what's taking place. 6 verse 3, and when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see, verse 4. And there went out another horse that was red. And the power was given him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that he should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So there's peace by the first horse. There's war by the next horse. Verse 20, Matthew chapter 24, verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. So what's the third thing we see? Is famines will come. Because of the wars, because of the direct judgments by God, uh, we're going to see famine strike the entire world. And, and it's going to be an interesting thing. It says there are diverse places. Diverse places literally means various places. So you think about it, you know, it could be bad already, but then he says there in verse 8, Matthew chapter 24, verse 8, flip back over there, and all of these are the, what's the next word, church? Beginning. You think it's bad? I'm just beginning. That's pretty much what he's saying. Okay, so, so there's going to be peace, then there's going to be war, there's going to be rumors of wars, there's going to be famine in the land. And he says, hang on, this, this is just the beginning. This is nothing compared to what's coming because the seven-year tribulation is going to be the worst time for the face of the earth. Go back to Revelation chapter 6, verse 5. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the, the beast say, come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. 
And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. So here comes the famine, verse 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So the word penny there is not an American penny, but it literally refers to a day's wage. So he's saying there's going to be famine followed with what? Extreme inflation. Huh. Church, just so you know. Do you know that we're heading into extreme inflation in the next couple of years, right? Yeah, so I remember as a kid, I told you this before, I used to, you know, my parents always talk about inflation as a kid, and a, you know, a little kid, whatever, junior high school, and I remember just in my mind going, okay, I'm not going to let this worry me. I did. And, and I said, as long as, this is the truth, as long as a Big Mac is still under a dollar, things can't be too bad. And I just remember, because it was 97 cents. Does anyone remember a Big Mac cheaper than 97 cents? 97 cents was the cheapest I've ever saw it. Anybody? No one's going to admit if you did. Roy, put your hand out. You know, <laughs> Roy's like, I remember when they opened McDonald's. <laughs> but, 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 but he says, here, because of the wars, because of the destruction that's taking place, there's going to be inflation, the food will be wiped away, water is going to be polluted, the air is going to be polluted. Pastor, what does oil and wine refer to? I believe that's just talking about medicinal uh, needs because that was their medicine, uh, some of the medicinal needs. So he's saying, like, be careful you watch out for the medicine this time because that's going to be scarce too. Still want to take care of people, right? But you better watch out for that. So what's the next thing? Number four, I think we're going to see this. Death and martyrdom. Really? Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to the afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So who's dying? Who's being martyred? The Christians. The Christians. Can we go back to our, our timeline here again? Kind of get an idea for it. The Christians, he says, listen, for the sake of Jesus Christ, there's going to be martyrdom. There's going to be death. So what happens? The Christians are gone here, right? But there's still people living here. We'll talk about this later in our study. But, but during this tribulation period is the greatest soul winning time in the history of the world, right? We know for certain 144,000 Jews are going to be saved. And they're, they're going to be the, the world's most outright crazy just go get them evangelists that have ever lived. I mean, that's all they're going to do. They're just going to be winning people to Jesus. Well, all these people that are alive that become Christians, that's what he's talking about. He said, you better watch out because it's going to be, it's going to be, there's going to be death, there's going to be martyrdom, and that's not just going to happen overnight. I really believe that's something that people are going to be conditioned to and be used to. How many of you, uh, uh, how many of you know the name of the, the pastor from Moody Bible Institute? The, 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 I think he was the former pastor. Erwin Lutzer, right. Erwin Lutzer just wrote a wonderful book. I'd recommend it. It says, We Shall Not Be Silenced. In that book, Erwin Lutzer says this. And he just wrote this in October of like, you know, like six months ago. It's a great book. We Shall Not Be Silenced. He writes this. He says the next book that he's going to write, Lord willing, is a book on martyrdom. Because he says, get ready, because I think it's coming even before the rapture. Seriously. I'm not buying that book. <laughs> Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. Go back to Matthew. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. Verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So believers are going to be deceived. Believers are going to be entrapped. They're going to betray one another, and I believe this is even going to happen in families. Oh, pastor, you don't believe that families will betray one another. Oh, yes, I do. Can I ask you a question? 
and we're not going to talk about it, but let's just ask a question. In the last 12 months, there's been the issue of masks and the issue of the vaccine. Has that caused division amongst Christians? A silly mask, either way you're at at it, okay? But I'm saying a piece of material has caused division among families. If I were to ask you, don't raise your hand, any of you having division in your families over a mask or over a vaccine, over medicine? I mean, the fact that blows me away is like, this is what's causing division? I mean, this is what's causing division? It's not world hunger. It's not abortion. It's not, you know, a mask and a vaccine. So do I think this is going to happen? Oh, yeah. And what do I think? I think big picture, big picture. I think what we experienced last year is, a, is, is, is really a conditioning for this end times that it's okay to say whatever I want with no thought of empathy or sympathy for anybody. And I can just blah, 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 diary of the mouth when I'm texting or typing or putting it on Facebook. And I can just do that because I don't care about hurting anyone's feelings, even if it's family. We've seen that, right? We've seen just absolute rudeness. I mean, really, right? And so do I believe that's going to happen? Absolutely. Do I believe families are going to turn against families? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and so evil is going to overtake the world. Remember this, church. Remember this. Go back to our map. That when the church is raptured, this time right here, the church, what else is gone? Now think. The Holy Spirit is gone because the Holy Spirit indwells believers and he's gone. The Holy Spirit doesn't indwell these believers, but the Holy Spirit indwells these believers. So when these people are gone, what's gone? The Holy Spirit's gone. There is no spiritual conscience left on the face of the earth. Literally, all hell is going to break loose. All immorality is going to break loose. Why? Because there's no one saying, stop, I've had enough. This is disgusting. We're not doing this. It's just, it's just everything's going to take place. Well, pastor, what about one world currency? Yeah, there's going to be a one world currency, absolutely. Do I think it's going to take a long time to institute the one world currency? Well, when I was a kid and I first heard this, I was like, oh, man, it's going to take years to get from like going from cash or writing a check to how would you ever just do one world currency? It doesn't make sense. Church, you know how long it would take, seriously, to do a one world currency and to get rid of cash? I think literally it could take place overnight. You could wake up tomorrow because think about this. You have all your money right here in the palm of your hand. For me, it's on my wrist. I go to any store, any restaurant, any gas station, and I can pay with my watch. I don't need cash. I, when we went up to the, the student convention this week, I was like, you know, I better bring some cash. It's the first time in my life I think I actually carried more than $10 with me, and, and I, just, I just had some cash because I didn't know. You know, and the kids' canteen, you know, the coffee shop, everything took, you know, you're paying with your phone, you're paying with your watch, and there was like no need for cash at all. So it's like, it's like, what do you even need cash for nowadays? So will it be gone? Yeah, it'll be gone in a heartbeat. It won't be a big deal at all. It'll just be like, well, here's a new currency, you know, just get ready. And uh, go back to Revelation chapter 6, verse 7. Revelation 6, 7. And when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice in the fourth seal, and the fourth beast said, come and see, verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name sat upon him was what? Was death. And hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and the beasts of the earth. It's interesting. What's his name? His name is death. Verse 9. And when he'd opened the fifth seal, I saw the altar of the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These are, these are previous martyrs. This is like the Apostle Paul. This is like Peter. Okay, they're saying, they're going to say these things. Verse 10. And they cried. So, so martyrs that have died before us with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So God, what are you waiting for? Avenge, avenge our death. And what does he say? Verse 11. Oh, verse 11 first. And white robes were given unto every one of them. 
And it was said unto them, that they should rest yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren they, uh, that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So God says, you know what, hold on, time out. I'm not going to avenge your death yet because there's still more martyrs that have to happen. Okay? So they're up there. All those people that have died, you know, because of, of martyrdom, you know, all the disciples, all the people throughout history have died because of their faith, right? All the people that have died in the consequent, uh, uh, conquest because of their faith are going to say, God, how long? And God says, no, there's a few more martyrs that still have to take place during that seven-year time period. Go back to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24, verse 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And, and some people use this verse to say, oh, look at that, it's talking about salvation. It's not talking about salvation, heaven and hell. Is talking about during that tribulation time period. Go back to our map. He says, he says those people, those people that endure, that, that live, that they're not martyred, the Christians that live, not all will be martyred, but the Christians that live, they'll be saved from the wrath of, of, of the tribulation, okay? It doesn't say it's not about going to heaven and hell. It's not about that. He's just saying if you make it to the end, then that's a great thing. You were saved from, from having to be a martyr. That's a wonderful thing. But don't let anyone use that verse for salvation. That's totally out of context. It's not talking about being saved from hell. It's in the context of, of this. Verse 14 of Matthew 24, And this gospel, the kingdom, shall be preached to all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So, so in the tribulation, in the tribulation, Jesus says this, I, I'm not literally coming back to put my feet on the ground until the whole world has heard about me as the Messiah. That's not for now. That's not pre-rapture. That's pre-second coming, okay? But remember, the world, just as it's so terrible, it's so awful, all these terrible cataclysmic events, people are dying by the millions, but you've also got the most time of great revival, the 144,000 Jews, uh, the two witnesses, uh, all these people are getting saved, are just running around, literally trying to beg people to trust Christ as Messiah, okay? And, and the gospel will spread around the entire world and not a person won't have heard it. Literally, here's, here's how it's going to end. There will not be an excuse for anyone at that time period that they didn't know about the Messiah. That's pretty amazing. I mean, there's no excuse now. There is no excuse because the Bible says even creation talks about it. And that kind of interesting thing we see from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, every age, every way, different way that God dealt with people, there was never an excuse. You, you won't get to heaven. You won't get to heaven and say, well, you know what? The reason I didn't become a Christian is because, you know, my neighbor. No. The reason I didn't, I had, a, I had a guy say this to me about a month and a half ago. The reason I didn't become a Christian is because the Christians were always trying to get me to become a Christian. Okay. <laughs> I'm tired of people trying to make me become a Christian. You're not going to stand before God and say that. We are without excuse. Jesus Christ came Died, lived on earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, spread his arms, died on a cross to pay the sins for all mankind, was buried, three days later rose again. And all the world is without excuse on that. There will be, there will be no excuse for why I didn't understand it, I didn't get it. And let me, let me say this. The gospel today, the gospel that we understand today, the gospel of grace, Jesus died on the cross, paid my sin debt, there's nothing I can do, but God, I believe Jesus paid it, was buried, rose again, amen, right? That's the same gospel, the same way people got saved from Adam all the way through the end, all the way through the end of time. It's the same. The gospel never changes. There's not a different gospel that God, it's, no. It's just that today, 
we look back at 2,000 years ago and say, oh yeah, Christmas and Easter, I get it. But those people that lived 2,000, you know, more than 2,000 years ago before Christ came, they were looking forward to Christmas and Easter and saying, someday he's coming. We don't know any, all the details, but someday the Messiah will pay our sins and we trust in that Messiah. You know, they were looking to it ahead of time. We're looking to it in history's sake. But it's still the same gospel. Christ died, was buried, rose again. All you have to do is believe. It's never by works. It's never by doing good. It's never by joining a church. It's by grace that we are saved. Always has been. Always will be. Amen, church? Praise the Lord. That's the best news you could ever share. Best news you could ever hear. All right, let's, uh, we're out of time. Thank you for being patient. We're a little bit over time, but I had some really cool things I had to share with you, and I think it was good. Uh, we're going to keep digging, though. Is that okay if we keep digging the next few weeks? We're just going to keep getting our shovels out and talking more about prophecy. So if you still got questions, still want to know some things, we're probably going to answer it in the next few weeks, all right? So hang on to those notes, take good notes, and we'll keep talking about it in the weeks to come. Let's have a word of prayer and let's be done. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, maybe there's someone here today who has never trusted simply in the fact that Jesus paid their sin debt. Maybe there's someone here today that thinks they've got to be good or has to join a church or has to give money. If I'm a good person, I think I'll, I'll, I'll go to heaven. Lord, nowhere in the Bible does it say good people go to heaven. As a matter of fact, Father, what we see is heaven is full of bad people. It's not full of good people. There are no good people in heaven. There's bad people in heaven that have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they trusted in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. So, Father, maybe someone today in the quietness of their mind is trusting you as their Savior. They realize that they can't be good, but today they trust alone in what you did on the cross. God, I realize I'm a sinner. God, I can't pay it. But, God, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. I believe he rose again from the dead, proving it had been paid. And, Lord, I accept the fact that he died to pay my mortgage for me, and I can't pay it. I accept that. I believe that, Lord, and I accept it. Yep. He paid my debt. I don't have to pay it. God, you say that the person that trusts in you is their Savior. They are forever part of your family, never to be lost, never to be forsaken. Maybe someone's done that right now. Lord, I pray a special blessing on their life today. Wouldn't that be cool if they did that today, Father? In the quietness of their mind, they trusted in you as Savior. That'd be awesome. Lord, we thank you for our study. Thank you for clearly laying out the end times. Give us clarity as we study it. Help us to learn it. Lord, help us have urgency to share the gospel. Help us have an urgency to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're, we're really urgent about everything else. We're urgent about our vacations. We're urgent about our careers. We're urgent about making money. Father, we, we really need to be urgent about sharing the gospel because that's all that's going to matter. <laughs> Would you work in our hearts, Father? Would you challenge us to be urgent about the gospel? We pray for that upon our hearts today, Lord. In your name we ask. Amen. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262 404 5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.